From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. 2021's version of March Madness has no doubt lived up to its billing, and while Florida has been the beneficiary of that chaos in the past, it was not meant to be this time around, as the glass slipper fit for Oral Roberts in Indianapolis. On today's show, we'll jump back in time to visit with the hero of Florida's last Sweet 16 appearance and current member of the Brooklyn Nets, Chris Chioza. Then, FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter join us to review basketball's brief tournament run, assess the state of the program entering the offseason, recap a quiet spring football season, and in honor of the Snyder Cut, share movies and TV shows that need to be rectified. But first, despite being among the smallest, few players in Florida basketball history played with as much moxie and heart as Chris Chioza. Over the course of his career, the soft-spoken guard from Memphis did his talking on the court, becoming an outsized contributor by the end of his run and logging one of the greatest shots in the history of the NCAA tournament. We caught up with Cheese a few weeks ago to talk about his Florida career and where it's brought him today, beginning with why the Tennessean chose to be a Gator. Uh, Being from the South, you know, SEC basketball was always on TV. So I got, saw, I got to see Florida play a lot when I was younger. And uh, I always liked how they always had smaller guards that were, you know, always so good and, you know, had the freedom to play and, you know, make a big impact. And, uh, you know, Coach Donovan was the guy that was there when I, when I committed. And, uh, you know, I always liked him as a coach. And, uh, you know, him being an NBA guard, I always thought I could learn a lot from him. So that, that helped my, you know, decision a lot. When you came into the program, what do you remember about the early days and trying to get your footing and, and fighting for playing time? It was a really talented roster back when you came into the program. Yeah. Uh, first thing I remember was just how much bigger and you know faster and stronger everybody was from high school. And uh, that was a big adjustment for me. Preston Green and those guys on the you know, training staff did a good job of, you know, getting my body right and, you know, being able to, you know, compete with those guys on a daily basis. Um, but that was the biggest thing, just the speed of the game and everything. You mentioned coming in and obviously committing to playing for Coach Donovan. And then pretty quickly, he leaves for the NBA. Mike White and his staff come in. What do you remember about building relationships with Mike White, his staff, and uh, and how they ultimately became your guys? Uh, I remember when they got there, they, they brought me in the office and showed me some, some highlights of Louisiana Tech and how they played. And I, all I thought about was, uh, you know, like my high school days of AAU and the way they played. I'm like, yeah, this is the type of basketball that looks fun and I want to play. It's, you know, defense, get out and run, you know, a lot of dunks, a lot of threes, stuff like that. It looks, it looks like a, a good time. So uh, once I saw that, you know, I was bought in to stay in and being a part of that team. Yeah, I was going to ask you about what memory stands out the most. I think I could probably guess what that is. Uh, as the author of one of the all-time, not just Florida basketball plays, but, I mean, one of the all-time NCAA tournament moments, uh, what memories stand out when you reflect back on that game and and that night at MSG? One of the things that stand out the most was uh, the environment 
And that feel of that game, it was just back and forth the entire second half, really the whole game. And uh, I think you could feel like both teams were never, uh, like, in desperation. Both teams were like, okay, we've been here before. Both older, both older teams experienced. So both teams just played with poise that whole game. And uh, it's something that you're not really used to. Like, uh, you know, normally in college you have one team that might be older, and another team full of young guys. And you can tell the older team is at the end of games. In that game, you can tell both teams were experienced. And, you know, we each team made play after play after play to, you know, take the lead, stay in the game or something like that. And, uh, you know, that that whole atmosphere was just crazy. The play, the play that stands out to me the most that game was actually before mine was Canyon. His hmm. uh, chase down block in order for us to get into that situation and come back and tie the game up. We were down two. And they threw a full court pass off of our press and Canyon, you know, was able to chase down the guy and get a block. And we came down and laid it up to tie it up with, you know, less than a minute left. Mm-hmm. So that was a big play right there. That, that put us in a position to, uh, you know, even go into overtime and, you know, still win that game. Ultimately, the shot that you hit, is that the kind of thing, could you recreate that if you tried? Or is that one of those just in the moment, everything worked, but it, it'd be hard to replicate even on a, on a practice court. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't exactly the play. It wasn't <laughs> growing up in my mind how it was going to work. My original plan was to uh, get all the way to the rim or, you know, look for someone else to get the shot. Um, but the way, you know, things happen, it's kind of like everybody kind of spread it out. And uh, I think Nigel Hayes kind of gave me a bump you know, right above, right behind, uh, right when I passed half court. So it kind of made me, you know, go out of my straight line path. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to have enough time to get to the rim. So I was like, well, I'm going to go for the win. <laughs> Might as well. It was like, we go go for it all. So right. know, that's the only way I can get my feet set. I just kind of did like a little jump stop and went into like a floater. And it's kind of just how it worked out. And uh, as soon as I left my hands, I was like, well, this is online. Like now, it's just a matter if I got put the right, if I put too much or not enough on it. Right. And, um, I just kind of followed it in. I shot it and I just kept going with the ball. And I was like, yeah, I think this is going in. And it went through the net. I was like right there watching it go in. It was crazy. So, you know, that's, that's definitely my favorite basketball memory so far. Another one was uh, at the Missouri when at the end of the game, I got a steal um, and laid it up at the buzzer. Um, those are my two, especially from my last year. In terms of just playing in March Madness, which you had the chance to do multiple times, uh, what do you remember about just that experience, about being on the road, about just everything that goes into it, the the pressure, the expectations, uh, the camaraderie that comes from that? What do you think about when you reflect back on March Madness? It's, uh, you know, a lot of people, it's something to be grateful for. You know, a lot of people never get to experience it. Uh, You know, I didn't get to experience it my first two years. It's like when you finally get there, it's, it's almost like being in the playoffs of the NBA. It's like, but probably more intense because it's one game and you're done. So, like, the focus and, you know, everything is dialed up to a 10, past a 10. You know, you can't – it's hard to describe how bought in you have to be once you get there. You have to be bought in all season. But once you get to March Madness, this one game, you, you got to know everything they're going to do. What each player does is complete different dedication to it. It was a craziness. It was way different than just regular season, uh, mm-hmm. especially for us because my junior year we we got the basically the home court advantage of being in Orlando. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to describe how how you know different it is 
but it's something that, you know, I wish everybody could get to experience, but that's the thing. You never get, a lot of people don't get to experience that. You talk about a home court advantage. Uh, Orlando's nice, but Gainesville with the Rowdies is probably a little bit better. What do you remember about playing in front of the Rowdies and the, the energy that that gave you and your teammates? Uh, man, they were loud every game. Whether we were having, you know, a great season or whether we were in a, a rough stretch of a, you know, a losing streak a couple games, you know, the Rowdies are going to be there every game. And, you know, they were going to be our sixth man, you know. Teams always hated to come in there and play. We used that to our advantage a lot. And, uh, you know, it, it made it hard for other teams to come in there and be comfortable. Even if we weren't playing well, it, like I said, it's like having a sixth man on the court. Anytime, you know, we're going to run the other team, you could just see it on their face. Uh, you know, they're like, man, these guys, is, these guys are good and their fans are, you know, letting us have it. Uh, they're, they're heckling them the whole game. They know things about the players that we don't know about. They're doing research. Right. And, you know, they're getting in the team's head and stuff. So uh, they, they were amazing. We've talked about a lot of on-the-court moments that stand out. When you think about what went on in the locker room, behind the scenes, on road trips, any funny stories that, that come to mind between you and your teammates back in the day? Uh, on the road trips, we used to, uh, we used to have the, the music playing on the plane sometimes, sometimes <laughs> I thought it looked too loud, you know, playing cards and stuff. Uh, my last two years, I think we were a very close knit group and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the road trips and stuff were a lot of fun being able to be around the guys all the time. Um, you know, we were all just hanging out around in the hotel and stuff. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head right now, but just just being around those guys, you know, we were pretty close. So, what are your relationships with the guys like today? Who are you still able to keep in touch with? Who do you talk to the most? What What are those like? Uh, just a few years after the fact. Uh, I probably talk to you know Devin Robinson the most. Uh, I'm still in contact with you know pretty much everybody. Um, I talk to you know Jalen Hudson, Igor, Johnny Bunu, Casey Hill, uh, Dorian. Finney Smith, mm-hmm. Chris Walker. Yeah, you know, I'm in touch with pretty much everybody. Um, Kayvon, Key, Glarius. So through in some in some form, I mean, whether it's just Instagram, where you know we DM each other some funny stuff, you know, have a conversation mm-hmm. here, um, you know, stuff like that. Sometimes I get a Facetime call from one of my friends, and they're on Facetime. It's like a group Facetime. <laughs> you know, we all hop, we'll be on there, not even expecting it, but you know, we we stay in contact pretty well. Um, now that you're a few years removed and you're you're an alumnus now, uh, how much have you been able to watch the program? What's it like now on the other side watching the Gators play as opposed to when you were on the court or before you got to school when you were just watching from afar? I mean, it's definitely different now uh, that I've been a part of it. Uh, so now when I'm watching, I'm cheering a lot harder for Florida than I was before I went there. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm checking up on them every, you know, as much as I can. I can't catch every game, but I try to watch as much as I can. Um, you know, I'm always checking in, just make sure to see how they're doing and uh, trying to watch as much as I can. When you think back on your experience at Florida, just looking at the whole equation, being an athlete, getting your degree, being on campus, um, what what does being part of the Gator Nation mean to you when you look at the whole big picture? It's amazing just to be able to say I went to that school as as a prestigious of a school as it is to be, you know, top 10 each year. Now, I probably think the last time I saw they were close to the top five for like public mm-hmm. schools as far as, you know, overall education. And, you know, of course, athletics, they're going to be near the top every year. So 
what I've what I've learned since I've left is everywhere I go, there's Florida Gators everywhere. And in New York, there's a lot more than I thought. Um, it seems like there's a lot of Florida Gators up in New York. So anytime, you know, I'm able to go somewhere, I'm seeing some Florida Gator, you know, license plate, flags, mm-hmm. something to do with Florida Gators. And, you know, every now and then I run to someone that, you know, recognize who I am from Florida. And, you know, they might not know I still play basketball, but they remember <laughs> So it's it's good to see like that connection. When you got to the end of your time at Florida, you know, you and, and a lot of your teammates had a decision to make. Well, where do I go from here? Do I go the overseas route? Do I go G League and try and work my way in that way? Uh, you went the G League route, which is different than most of your teammates. I'm curious what went into that decision and, and how happy are you that you did that? On draft night, so when I decided to, you know, stay in the G League because on draft night I had a couple of teams that, you know, told me they were could possibly draft me and when they didn't you know I stayed in contact with them and uh you know immediately after they wanted me to play for the G League team and you know try to earn my way you know there for go to training camp with I whatnot mm-hmm. and uh so I decided to go to the Wizards uh, training camp and, with, and uh you know do the preseason with them and you know unfortunately things didn't work out but uh I just decided to stay in the G League because I felt like you know I, I was close to where I wanted to be I felt like if I went overseas, you know, it might not, you know, be as easy to get back from over there. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that was just the best choice for me to, you know, stay here and, uh, you know, just try to, you know, play well in G League and try to get called up. And, uh, you know, luckily for me, you know, I was able, that was what happened. You know, I was able to do that. You know, Houston was one of those teams that on draft night had, a, you know, a chance to draft me. And, uh, you know, they were the first team to you know, give me a 10-day, and then eventually they signed me. That's how I pictured everything going, and, you know, that's mm-hmm. that ended up what happened. So, you know, I was you know, blessed for that. So when you get on the court for the first time with Houston, you've made it on an NBA court. What was that like for you? What was going through your head? And, and how challenging was it from a, a game standpoint of, of getting up to that speed? You know, I was already – we had played pretty much a, a whole season in the G League. So, I mean, I was in season form as far mm-hmm. as basketball wise. So uh, coming in there, it was just, uh, you know, another adjustment of, you know, guys being bigger and, and stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it wasn't as hard as the college transition, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, from high school to college, because I felt like I was I was already in the G League. You're playing against guys that are, you know, sometimes sent down or, or NBA talent. And, mm-hmm. you know, they just haven't been with the opportunity yet or, you know, in that position. So you're playing against guys that can play professionally every day. So when you get up to the next level in the NBA, yeah, it's definitely, you know, the players are still better, but like you're, you're ready for it. So that adjustment wasn't as, as hard as the college. Have you had any, not, not freshman moments, have you had any rookie moments since you've been up at the next level uh, where, you know, where maybe you didn't know the ropes and someone had to, had to point you in the, the right direction? I definitely had some. <laughs> Probably just some small things like when you're getting ready to check into the game, you know, you don't got your jersey tucked in, or when you're when you're on the bench and you're like, man, I'm about to go in, you got all your warm-ups on, you gotta snap them off real quick, and you're just like, Man, something don't feel right. You gotta I'll be checking to make sure I got my shorts on, my jersey. <laughs> it's like something always feels like it's missing. Um I've seen guys go in there and they don't have the jersey on. They might have forgot to put the jersey on because they got so much stuff on to keep warm on the right. bench. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. Um, luckily, that hasn't happened to me. So we're going to try to keep it that way. But uh, <laughs> I learned from my little freshman mistakes in college. So I, I try not to have any of those. 
try not to have any when I got up here. You haven't gotten on the wrong subway or anything? You haven't ended up in Manhattan? You're supposed to be in Brooklyn? I don't, I don't get on the subway. No? <laughs> I don't go Uber everywhere. I don't trust that subway. Too much a chance you end up in the wrong place? Yeah. I don't, I don't know my That's way fair. around like that, so I'm going to just stick to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, so you're, you're on a team right now that has Kevin Durant, uh, Kyrie Irving. You just got James Harden. What is it like now being on the same roster and on the same court with guys who I'm sure that, that you looked up to a lot when you were growing up just as a, as a young player? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's crazy to think that we got all three of those guys on the same team now. Uh, so I'm sure I'll see James tomorrow. You know, I've already played with him in Houston. Um, so I know him pretty well. And then, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, probably the best scorer ever. Uh <laughs> 6'10", shooting guard. Uh, and then, of course, Kyrie is somebody I always looked up to just because, uh, you know, the way, you know, he can he can score and the way he handles the ball and stuff and, and you know, runs point guard. And, uh, you know, going to his camps when I was in high school and stuff, meeting him a long time ago. And then, you know, a couple years down the line, I'm on the team with him. It's, it's crazy how, like, everything's happening so fast. And in my, what, third year mm -hmm. out of college, I've played on – three teams and all three teams have had Hall of Famers on it. I've had James Harden, Chris Paul, <laughs> John Wall, Bradley Bill, yeah. Kyrie, and Kevin Durant in three years. So, you know, three teams. So, you know, most guys got to play on six teams to play with six guys that good. And, you know, I've played on three and mm -hmm. have at least two of those guys on each of the teams. So, it's crazy. What, what do you learn from those guys? Is there a lot of, I mean – is that a thing where you try and take some pointers from them? Is it more just observing them? How do those relationships work when you're at the, the level you're at? Uh, I feel like most of my learning would be is from watching, just watching them guys and see how they do things, um, whether it's stuff on the court or just how they, you know, come in and prepare on a daily basis with their regimens and their routines. Just learning to be more of a professional instead of just a, a pro being a, a whole professional. So um, a lot of I, I talk to those guys a lot though, but I try not to you know always just talk about basketball stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, we're still people. We want to talk about other things in basketball. So I try to just you know build relate, try to build a relationship with those guys outside of basketball. You know, and then just learn as much as I can about basketball from those guys. So they all are incredibly smart. And outside of basketball. So, you know, I'm learning a lot of things about stuff to do after basketball and outside of basketball, just from, you know, just conversing with those guys. So. A big moment for uh, for the program and for a lot of the great players in the history of the program was when Billy Donovan came back and the court was named after him. And so you were there that night along with a ton of your former teammates. Uh, but you also had some fun with Coach White that night. I know during one of the, the timeouts, they're jumping back in the huddle. Uh, can you talk about your relationship with Coach White and, and how that endures even to this day? Uh, I mean, Coach White was, you know, a great coach and uh, a, a better person. He was one of those guys that, uh, you know, if you needed anything, you know, he'd give his shirt off his back to you, um, you know. So, I mean, my relationship with him is amazing. I mean, if I, I know if I needed anything right now, I could call him and ask for it. Um, you know, same thing with me for him if he needed anything you know, talk to a player, anything, you know, come back down there, do anything at school, I, I you know, I do it. So, you know, like you said, last year when I came back, it was a timeout, and I think all of the players were on the court, um, all of Coach Donovan's former players, you know, everybody's leaving the court, and the team was still in the huddle. 
So I just kind of walked over there and act like I was going to drop a play or something. He saw me and he just turned around and gave me a hug. <laughs> and, uh, you know, said he was proud of me, you know. Uh, and so me and him have a great relationship. You know, I had a whole, I had a great relationship with all of the, that whole staff that he brought in. And, you know, after the first year, a couple of people left. But, you know, uh, you know, I still had a great, I still have a great relationship with most of those guys too. So. Uh, obviously, pandemic times make it harder to, to get out and enjoy the places where you are. But you're in New York. You're, you're in the Mecca. Um, what kind of experiences have you had off the court that have been meaningful for you that have, uh, have helped you make this dream even, even more exciting along the way? Uh, well, before COVID, uh, when I was here last season, I've, I've been in New York several times, but, uh, you know, it's been for short periods and, you know, you don't really get to do too much besides basketball. So when I, when I got here and I had a few off days, I actually kind of went around and, you know, kind of explored a little bit, did a little touristy stuff, um, went to a couple of the museums. It's just kind of, you know, it's different when you live here. Um, mm-hmm. I always thought I couldn't live here. I'm like, there's no way I can live in New York. There's too many people, all of this stuff. But I was yeah. uh, in Brooklyn last year, so it's it's was more spread out. And you know, I was like, man, New York's not bad at all. I, I like it here. And I was like, uh, man, I hope I can, you know, stay here with this this city, this organization. We got great fans. Um, you know, like you said, it's the mecca of basketball. Now we have an amazing, uh, even better team than we had last year. Yeah. So the whole aura around us is different now. When a season comes to a sudden halt like it does when you exit a one-and-done tournament like March Madness, there are always decisions that get debated and second-guessing to be had. For Florida, season-long challenges popped up at the worst times against Oral Roberts, and as Chris Harry noted to open our roundtable, the big dance can be very unforgiving when it comes to critical mistakes. If you have con- consistent flaws... And in this case, Florida's consistent flaws this year were among them were uh, turning the ball over too much. And like I pointed out, fouling too much. It doesn't matter who you're playing. Um, you know, they're, they're, they will rear themselves. And if you do them enough uh, and you put a, you're in a situation where, you know, it's the last few minutes of the game and the game's on the line. Um, you can't have, you can't have those possessions or those decisions back and they come up to bite you in the end. And that's what happened to Florida. And, uh, uh, you know, in addition to that, I'm sure, and, and people listening to this are going to certainly jump on this, but I'm sure my, Mike White is kicking himself uh, today, you know, how he approached, you know, the final, the final 10 minutes of the basketball game um, in terms of tempo and what have you. And um, that stuff he's, you know, he's going he's gonna to have to live with during the offseason. But again, you know, the, like I said, the, the turnovers, 20 turnovers, uh, and the fouls against a team that is the second best free throw shooting team in the country, a team that the that style of play, you know, they, it's not going to succeed unless you do foul them. And they played right into their hands in a lot of ways. And uh, I mentioned those fouls three times, Florida fouled a three point shooter. Two of those times the ball went in. So mm-hmm. in essence, you give up, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's, you know, 10, two, four point plays, Plus uh, the guy hit two at three free throws. You know that's ten. That's ten points right there on fouling a three point shooter. And you know I don't. I, you know I, I can sit here and tell you that that it's over and over again. These guys are told during practice, don't foul jump shooters. Don't foul jump shooters. And uh, that that message uh, uh, troubles when it comes to three point shooters. Obviously. So again, 
is a, a, a bad way to lose again. And, and, and we can sit here and paint a picture about, yeah, they won a tournament game, but it, it, all the offseason is going to be about missed opportunity because that was right there for him. Oral Roberts is a, a matchup problem uh, for a couple teams, a couple uh, uh, brand name basketball teams in that game because they have two really, really good players. And uh, I mean, Kevin Obenar and, and Max Ambus, I mean, those, and I can't even say his name. I think, I think it's Asmus or Asmus. Asmus, Asmus, yes. Excuse me. The leading scorer in the country. Um, Those two guys together are problems. And when you have two matchup problems like that in a five, and, and when there's only five guys on the court and what they do well can be exploited. I mean, Kevin Obenar, I mean, my goodness gracious, the guy is a, a 49% field goal shooter overall and a 43% three-point shooter at six, nine and a half. That's a matchup problem. And he, he can drive it. He can shoot it. You know, what, you know, pick your poison with that guy, whatever you pick, he can probably go with it. And uh, like I said, it was right there for him. 11 point lead, slow the game down. Uh, I think I asked Mike White about it uh, after the game. Um, the, that that decision he talked about, he thought his team his team was looking tired. You know they they were they built their lead by playing in in an up in an up tempo way. Mm-hmm. So again, he, that's that's probably some stuff that he's gonna he's gonna be uh, he's gonna be second guessing um, because playing fast got you an eleven point lead and you were playing against a team that was basically playing six guys. But I mentioned those two players, outstanding players for uh, for for Oral Roberts. But they had some other guys step up in moments. Uh, the Shang guy hadn't made a b- basket all game. He hits a three right after Florida took the lead. Mm-hmm. He does. He hits that with two minutes left from the corner. Uh, well guarded. It's just it, it's just one of those things. And and Florida won't be the only one kicking themselves. Uh, you know, Texas will be. Uh, I mean, how many double digit seeds? Uh, I believe it's survived. four, four double-digit seeds in the Sweet Sixteen. Four, four double-digit seeds ever. in the Sweet Sixteen, but how many won? And how many won in the first round? So it, it was a crazy tournament, like it was a, like it was a crazy uh, college basketball season, and it was it was damn exciting. But it, it's a, it's over for Florida now. There's a a lot of uh, processing to do with this basketball team in this program. So in terms of what comes next, um, you know, as, as we're talking now, I'm sure there's things happening behind the scenes. The only one at the moment we know about is Tyree Appleby announced he is returning next year. Um, you know, there's certain to be some turnover. Mike White said so himself when we spoke to him on last week's show. Um, and there's also that that introspection, as you mentioned, kind of evaluating what what was good this year, what was bad, how do you address that? Um, from from your perspective, what is the outlook right now for the decisions and kind of the benchmarks of this Florida team as it moves through the offseason? It's, it's college basketball 2021, Adam, which means uh, there's going to be a, there's going to be attrition. Um, and now with the, with the transfer portal alive and well, and a, and a whole nother quote unquote free agent kind of option, a different way to, to build your team. Um, I would imagine uh, Florida, Florida is going to be active there. Uh, you know, maybe, it, maybe to the extent of Dan Mullen active because um, they've signed they've signed one player for next year, a talented wing named Kawasi Reeves, um, who's a I want to say he's a he's a top forty, top fifty kind of player. Um, I would imagine he'll come he'll come in and have some impact. But there's going to be players on this team that weren't happy with their roles. I mean, if you just start at the top of the roster, number zero is Quez Glover. He didn't play the last I believe three games, maybe even four games. Um, you know, obviously the 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 this is the week for exit interviews and the coaches will be having those kind of chats um, with players. Um, Trey Mann is 
the guy who did to the absolute last minute and pull himself out of the NBA um, underclassmen um, pool last year. I'm sure, I'm sure Gator fans would gladly wait till the last minute for him to pull out again, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Certainly his stock went up. When you see what he can do as a guy who can go get his own shot, that's the kind of stuff the NBA is looking for. And I think I've said on this podcast that, you know, Gators just haven't had anybody like that. Uh, and, you know, probably you could say Kayvon Allen could, uh, Jalen Hudson could. They weren't always great shots from those guys. Scotty Wilbekin obviously could, but uh, Trey Mann showed that he can do, he can get something inside, he can get something outside and um, texting some NBA people. And he is somebody who will be able to play at the next level, they believe. Um, I would imagine that if you ask me right now, I would imagine he's, he's, he's going to go into the NBA draft. But guys like uh, Samson uh, Roshensev, uh, guys like uh, Anthony DeRuji, I'm saying Omar Payne, Noah Lach come back for his senior year. Colin Castleton, I would imagine, will be back. Osai Osifo, uh, work in, project, prog- in progress to be sure. Uh, I don't see him going anywhere. You mentioned Tyree Appleby. Uh, Jason Jatobo is a guy you want to maybe watch. I'm sure he didn't play nearly enough as he would like. But having said all this, remember, these guys, these project kind of guys, they can roll their year over and not count it because of the whole COVID uh, situation. True. So, but that's all goes into what goes with, um, you know, how many guys you still only get 13 scholarships. They're not adding numbers of scholarships. So hmm. it's going to be a balance. And Niles Lane is a guy who probably I would imagine would be, he didn't, he didn't play a whole lot, but they, they like his competitive spirit and his ability to play defense. Offense is a work in progress. And, and obviously that, that needs to improve what's going to happen with Keontae Johnson. I don't know. That's something that that will probably play itself out well into the summer, but uh, he'll be he'll be around. But you mentioned Scotty Lewis. That's something that's going to be behind the scenes and probably something we're going to hear about fairly quickly one way or the other. But uh, there is going to be some turnover on the roster. There always is turnover on the roster. And frankly, there may even be some turnover in the coaching staff. I think I think one of the coaches may even get a head coaching job. So uh, be on the lookout for that. But uh, this Florida team, I'm not going to say it's going to look a lot different, but as it is, it looked different than it did last year um, with, you know, Colin Castleton uh, parachuting in. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple guys out there in the transfer portal that uh, Florida already has their eyes on, just like I'm sure uh, a lot of programs have their eyes on them right now. So there's certain to be more basketball news coming up, but maybe even by the time people hear this, things may have already happened. We didn't discuss. Of course, we will continue talking about it as it unfolds in the weeks to come. Uh, I want to talk quickly here about uh, about spring football, Scott, which which came and went um, sort of without a lot of buzz. That was the nature of it this year because practices were closed to the public and there was no orange and blue debut, no public scrimmage. Um, but from what you gathered, what are some of the... the uh, what are some of the overarching storylines that have emerged from spring uh, based on pretty much all we have, which is what Dan Mullen told us? Yeah, Adam, it was a quiet spring for the Gators. I, you know, one of the quietest I can ever recall, to be honest with you. And, you know, the circumstances around practice played into that some with uh, them being closed for the most part because of COVID or actually being totally closed. You know, the team did some Instagram for fans to give them a little bit of a a look at some guys. Uh, but you know, you can only you can only get so much on those, and some things aren't going to make the cut. So uh, the big storyline, as we've talked, the quarterback Emory Jones, uh, Dan Mullen, uh, he addressed that exactly 
the way I knew he would at the end of camp. But on Saturday, they had their last practice, and then, you know, the coaches are getting some time off. The players now are in their uh, off-season conditioning drills. Um, but, you know, he basically said, hey, I'm, I'm preparing two guys to be starting quarterback. And, you know, that's Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. And uh, that's kind of the way he did it with Kyle Trask and Felipe Franks before Franks got hurt. So I think that's just what – that's his M.O. That's what we're, we're going to have to get used to. He did come out. You know, Emory is the de facto starter going into the fall. So no surprise there. Uh, he didn't do anything to hurt himself through the spring. And luckily, both guys, uh, you know, came out of it healthy. And um, Richardson, I think, helped himself quite a bit of just from getting that experience. See that? Emory had already had, you know, his trash backup. So if you had to look at those two guys and probably say which one took the biggest leap, I think you're, you're talking about Anthony Richardson at this stage of his career. And now it's uh, Emory Jones. What Dan Mullen wants to see from him over the summer is just continue to work on his accuracy and his leadership skills. Uh, it's a new role for him uh, to take control of the team, to take control of the locker room. And, and that was really his message to, to Emory as they broke camp. Uh, you talk about, you know, Mullen did kind of go down each position group. He didn't really get into specifics, but just reading between the lines, you can tell the, the two position groups that he likes the best are the running backs and the linebackers. And it makes sense in both cases because those are experienced groups. I mean, at running back, you know, you got Malik Davis, you've got Damian Pierce, you got Demarcus Bowman coming in, you got Naquan Wright. Uh, you got Lorenzo Lingard now as he moves into his second year of the program. So they have talent, they have depth, they have experience. You look at linebacker, kind of the same deal where Ventrell Miller's the experience. I think Mahmoud Diabate, I think, is the guy that they're really looking for a breakout year. I think he, he flashed that potential at the end of the year. And then, you know, Jeremiah Moon's back. He gives them some experience off the edge if he can stay healthy. And, you know, we've talked about Jeremiah, it seems like about 12 years now. Uh, but he, if again, I mean, uh, he's one of those guys that you look at him and you say, how can this guy not be a really good player? Uh, but he's always hurt. So if he can somehow stay healthy, uh, he's a guy that on that linebacker core on the edge, he adds something there uh, that could be a special piece for him. Uh, but then flipping it over on the other side, Adam, I mean, the secondary and the receivers are two areas that Mullen clearly know that they have to, you know, get better at before the season starts. And it's really just the case that, you know, they've got the numbers there. Uh, they've got some talent, but they just don't have a lot of experience. I mean, if you look at the secondary, which was a sore spot last year, other than Kyrie Elam, you don't have a lot of proven players back there. I mean, Jaden Hill's kind of a veteran now. He hasn't really even played that much. Uh, so you're looking at all those newcomers, uh, Corey McMillan, Jason Marshall Jr., young guys who we saw a little bit last year like Travis Johnson, Rashad Torrance. This is their chance. I mean, those guys are going to have a chance to get on the field in 2021, as are some of the other freshmen who will come in uh, in the offseason and, and some guys who were around early enrollees in the spring. So uh, playing time is there for guys who can make a difference. And uh, Just talking to the uh, – the two new secondary coaches in the last few days, Wesley McGriff and Jules Montanar, uh, both guys kind of said the same thing that, you know, we, we like what we have. We love their attitude. These guys, Mullins built a really good culture that 
It's a, it's a teaching culture. It's a learning culture and it's a winning culture, but we have to get these guys experience on the field. They got 15 practices spring. They'll get 29 more before the season opener. Uh, and then, you know, they're going to be in this, they're going to be on the big stage. Some of them really for the first time as Gators. So uh, we'll all, We'll, we'll be finding out together uh, how these guys do. And then you look over to receiver uh, again, you've lost so much talent at that position in the last two seasons. You know, whether it's Kyle Pitts at tight end, what, Ben Jefferson, Freddie Swain, uh, Tyree Cleveland, Hammond, all those guys. And you throw Grimes and Tony into that mix. That's a lot of really good players uh, to lose in a span of two seasons. Uh, so guys like Jacob Copeland, it's his time. I mean, if this guy is is going to be that difference maker of Florida, uh, they need him to be that from from the first snap. Because Emory Jones, while he he does things differently than than Kyle Trask did, and Dan Mullen will ask him to do things differently in this offense, uh, he's going to have to have some receivers to help him out to make some plays. Because uh, this isn't a, a team; it's going to look different in twenty twenty one. But I still don't see this being a team that's just going to line up even with that deep stable running backs and suddenly run it down other teams throats, you know, 30 times for 250 yards a game. I don't think they're that kind of team. They're going to need, they're going to need the passing game. And that's what Mullen's always been about his offense. So, uh, you know, I think those two things are going to really be imperative. Uh, those two position groups, the defensive back, and the receivers uh, to really for the, the coaching staff to have a, a confident, feeling going into that opening uh, weekend. Yeah, and we encourage people to check out your stories on those new secondary coaches over at FloridaGators.com. This is the time of year when you can tell those more personal stories, highlight guys when they, uh, there's a little bit less pressure on them uh, because you're not in season mode. So definitely encourage people to check that out. Um, I want to turn our attention to uh, to baseball. And Scott, you know, when you're the number one team preseason, it's unanimous. You're going to be under an incredible microscope. And certainly that opening weekend against Miami, people were just picking Florida apart for, you know, number one, not sweeping the number two, losing the series. So I think it was just so unfathomable. There could be losses along the way. And then just as soon as everyone is, is convinced that Florida is not what they were supposed to be, they sweep Texas A&M and then the world seems to be, you know, back uh, in proper orbit. So just talk about what you saw from baseball this past weekend as they, they opened SEC play? Well, it was a good, good opening weekend for Florida in the SEC. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, they, they got, you know, they got a little beat up from the fans uh, after they opened the season. I think what? No, come on, Scott. <laughs> they won 13 <laughs> of their first, uh, what, 18 games. Uh, but you know, I think people were thinking they were going to win 17 or 18. Bottom line is what you saw against Texas A&M, I think, is the kind of team that Kevin O'Sullivan envisioned along with the fans. And, you know, Sully's one of those guys. That one reason I really like to to talk to Sully and cover him is, I mean, he gives it straight. I mean, he he's really a good coach in terms of talking about his team, talking about strengths, talking about weaknesses. And he was as probably optimistic as I've ever heard him talk after the Texas A&M series. You could tell he was really pleased with how they rebounded from that midweek loss at Florida State. Uh, and it starts all with those three starting pitchers, Tommy Mace, Jack Leftwich, Hunter Barco. In the three games, Adam, they, they combined for 20 innings, gave up 18 hits, just walked tw- two, struck out 26, 
Hmm. Gave up a total of five earned runs. So if you if my baseball math is right, that's a two twenty five ERA and a one whip. And I know Chris loves those those whip stats. So he loves it. Uh, he loves baseball yes. analytics. He, yes, he does love the baseball analytics. But that's pretty impressive uh, pitching from your your starting rotation. And then they hit the ball well. I mean, Joe Fabian gets SEC Player of the Week. I mean, this guy's been one of the the best. Well, he's probably been the most consistent Gator. Of the season, I think he's their most talented overall player in terms of professional prospects. Uh, so if, if they can play like they did this week, uh, this week at South Carolina, like they did this past week at AM, they're going to have a good road trip up to Columbia, and uh, they, they can really start to separate themselves early in the SEC East if you can win some of these early series and and stack up the wins. Uh, but again, and I'll keep saying this uh, as far as Unless they have any major injuries where they're losing key guys for the season, this Florida team's too good not to be in the postseason, not to have a chance to go to Omaha. Uh, and, you know, they're 16 and five. So that's pretty good. And what they're, it's solely talked about this is a new challenge for them, too, because, I mean, they played 18 of their first 21 games at their new Florida ballpark. So they've only had a, what, three road games. So, uh, you go up to South Carolina, they'll match that this weekend. So gives him a different measuring stick to go by. It puts the players in a pressure situation on the road. So we should learn more about this Gator baseball team this weekend. And while we're talking about uh, bat and ball sports, just want to note that softball went to Mississippi State and they got a sweep there. So they're rolling right now in the top five, five and one in the SEC. So baseball and softball both in the ascendancy at the moment. Um I want to turn our attention to our PAT for this week, which is inspired by something I don't believe either one of you are are overly familiar with. So I'll give you a brief synopsis here, okay? So there was a Justice League movie that came out in 2017. There was turmoil on the set. The director ended up having to leave the movie due to a personal issue with his family. And then the movie was finished by somebody else. The movie was terrible. Everybody hated it, right? So there was this movement online over the course of the last three years, three and a half years, to release the cut that the director had intended before he left the project. It was a myth, supposedly, but then it became real. And then on HBO Max last week, they released a four-hour director's cut, which in a lot of ways was like a, a different movie. It still wasn't great, but it was better. So it got me thinking about this. If you guys had the power to change a piece of entertainment, whether it be a sequel to a movie you love and they screwed it up or an adaptation of your favorite book or a TV series that went off the rails on their finale. Uh, There's some obvious ones that are built into that, by the way. But I'm just curious if you had the power to recreate a piece of entertainment that is important to you, what would it be? Do they all have to be four hours long? No, they don't have to be four hours long. Ideally, they would be shorter. <laughs> I, you know, if I'm going to go to recent history, because it's fresh in my mind, I certainly, and I love the, the series as a whole. And I, I know a lot of people are going to agree with me on this. But, you know, Game of Thrones, I thought the end was just, it, they tried to cram so much in at the end. I remember watching that last episode, and I'm having trouble keeping up with, how many horses are flying through the air and <laughs> who's getting killed and what's happening here. I mean, I had to watch that thing about three times to get my head around exactly what happened. Uh, but that's easy. That was, uh, that's, that's it, the it, one I said was built in. That's the obvious yeah. one. That's the low hanging fruit. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going back to other show, another recent show that I really got into 
And it wasn't so much the the fault of the people who made the show. It was the fault of one of the stars of the show. I mean, I thought uh, House of Cards, I mean, it just died on the vine because, yeah, of, Kev- because of Kevin Spacey's uh, issues in real life. And, you know, I was curious to see where the hell they were going to take that. <laughs> it was pretty sorted already. So were they, and they never figured it out. <laughs> yeah, they never figured it out. It just kind of, okay, it's over. But, you know, going back in time, you know, I'm going to say that because it's really, even here it is, and this shows my age, but it also shows you how good the show is. Because if I ask somebody half my age, uh, if they watch Seinfeld, a lot of people still watch those uh, syndication shows and they love the show. But I did, I was, I didn't like the last episode. Mm-hmm. You know, what was it? They all ended up in jail kind of on a silly basis. And, you know, it's like they, they could have done better. But then again, that show was never about anything. So, uh, you it's know, it, what does it matter how it ends? But I was looking for a little, a little tighter bow to wrap that series up because for my money, it's still the, the greatest sitcom in history. Uh, but hey, they just had a bad night. But those are some of the ones that, you know, stick out to me. But I'm not as in tune to some of the popular culture as you and Chris are. Uh, <laughs> so I'll let you guys chat more. I don't know. I think, how, how about another Spider-Man reboot? Maybe, <laughs> you know. Anyway. <laughs> you guys are just taking my answers. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here preparing my Spider-Man 3 answer and Chris goes and just cuts my legs out from under me. Spider-Man 3. They've made Spider-Man they've made Spider-Man 1 like four times it seems like, right? Three times, but close. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, okay, five, six times or whatever. (laughs) Um, you know, my wife, daughter, and I liked Lost. Then it jumped a shark. Yeah, it did. and you know the the longer a, sh- a good show is on, the 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 more likely it is to jump that shark. It's true. And uh, speaking of sharks, did you all ever see Jaws: The Revenge? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, nineteen eighty seven. I never saw it, but I was looking up I, I, for this purpose of this. I looked up the worst uh, sequels of all time. That's pretty high up there, apparently. And apparently, the the chief is dead. So it all centers around the the widow and the shark is tormenting her. Apparently, you know, I, I get yeah. it's got to be a different one because the other one got blown blown to bits in the first right. one, and the second right. one got electrocuted. I don't know what happened in Jaws three, four, five, and certainly I don't know what happened in Jaws: <laughs> The Revenge. Um, There's always more sharks. There's always more sharks. I think there was another. Didn't they remake Speed and that was terrible? Speed. Well, they did, they did a sequel. They did a Speed Cruise Control. That's what I mean. On a speed. Boat. Yeah, well, which was yeah, where, yeah. where no Keanu know, Reeves. Yeah, that's right. And, and again, it's no Keanu Reeves. And if Keanu Keanu Reeves won't show up for a paycheck, <laughs> you know the thing's yeah. bad because that bad guy sign. can't act his that guy can't act his way out of a bag. But yeah, there's all sorts of examples throughout history. I'm glad we were able to hit on a few of the ones that people are most passionate about today. See, I knew you guys were still locked into pop culture, despite oh, yeah. your claims to the contrary. I still, I'm waiting. I'm still waiting for the uh, Batman vs Superman interrupted by the Incredible Hulk. Uh, <laughs> that's a, you know, isn't I want to see it, that. Isn't there a King Kong Godzilla coming? There out is. Again? There yes. is a King Kong versus Godzilla coming yes. out in less than a week. And you Holy can watch God. it at home on HBO Max. There you go. Well, you know, and we'll, it, and, and and guess what? It'll suck. Yes. It probably will. It, it probably, probably will. We'll just wait. We'll just wait for you to tell us about it. Adam. I'll tell you. Yes, I'll tell you yes, all about yes, it. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, 
Well, in any case, uh, we could go on all day, but you guys have things to write for FloridaGators.com. People have things to do as well. Encourage everyone to check out the site for the latest content. Follow them on Twitter, at GatorScott, at GatorsChris. Again, a lot of things I'm sure are going to be coming out on Chris's timeline because of the the action behind the scenes at basketball. And uh, Scott will be covering baseball for us as well as, uh, as the season unfolds. So thank you to both of you, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators. Gators.